today on Ag News Daily. Well, for the gray market perspective, the bigger headline will be the USDA report on Thursday. Uh, that'll be very important because we'll get an update, of course, on where corn yield is pegged, soybean yield, and also an eye of uh, demand. Well, happy Columbus Day. Ag News Daily listeners, welcome back to the podcast here on the Market Monday show. Tanner and Delaney. Delaney, I'm cruising down the road hauling some beans to the elevator, so I'm probably just going to contribute a little bit of news while you hit most of the headlines. How's your family coming with harvest? Yes, Belina's done with soybeans, and we're heading now into corn. So I think last I knew we had maybe 200 acres left, so I'm really hoping he gets done here within the next two or three weeks before the end of the month for sure. So what about your in-laws? We're making progress. Talk to co-host Corey from Farm for Profit, and he's got his family moving. My parents are moving. Everybody seems to be taking advantage of the good weather that we've got. It is prime sweatshirt losing season. You start off really cold, and by the middle of the day, you take that top layer off. Some of our friends, Wisconsin, northeastern Iowa, Minnesota, are looking at frost warnings tonight. Temperatures could be in the low 30s, Delaney. Meanwhile, Missouri, Illinois, seeing some prime harvest weather. And of course, when you get Wednesday, Thursday of this week, we've got some chances of rain coming our way. Absolutely. And we should put a caveat in there. You're not reading any news while you're driving. You're just here for moral support for me. That's correct. I'm trying to remember the headlines I did before we got in the truck. And uh, weather's certainly one of those to remember. Well, it's interesting too, Tanner, as you think about weather, I know this is usually your beat, so to speak, but Eric Snodgrass is starting to reflect longer term here as to what kind of winter we're going to have. Because of course, as we continue to see the El Nino pattern develop, that's going to be some pretty indi- pretty good indications of what kind of winter season we're going to have, which is still too early. I'm not ready to think about that yet. But as we look at thinking ahead to this winter, he's expecting to see the North Atlantic fairly warm, uh, the West fairly warm as well. But as we look at the rest of the fall heading into the winter, there, going to see some increased momentum in the Pacific jet streams, which will give us week on week off weather patterns here for the next couple of months moving forward. And is one of the reasons he said that the November through January forecasts will generally be wetter for most of the United States. What we don't know at this time is how will the polar vortex behave this winter? We've seen in the past years, Tanner, some really, really cold temperatures because of that polar vortex. And that is still one of the biggest unknowns we have for the winter season moving forward. But As far as the two-week precipitation outlook goes, the next week or so is going to be dominated by an active jet stream moving through the North Pacific branch, as well as one that will also move through the Pacific Northwest, and it should bring quite a bit of moisture into the central U.S. later this week. We're also, Tanner, this is scary, going to see some snow already likely in Ontario, Quebec, and also into the Rocky Mountains, Wyoming, parts of Colorado. And they're saying even western Nebraska and South Dakota might see some snowfall later this week. Yikes, that does seem a little bit early. But of course, hopefully it stays away from our area for quite some time. I know we get to have a great market conversation today with Naomi, and we're going to hit a lot more detail on the next headline that I have. But Israel's military 
has reported that they are continuing to battle back after large airstrikes and a very concentrated effort of attacks coming on their infrastructure, especially the Gaza Strip. We've got, if I remember right, Delaney from the headline, the death toll, unfortunately, is already over a thousand. There was a festival that got hit where several hundred individuals were unfortunately confirmed dead, but it seems like going to have another headline to counteract Russia and Ukraine here for a little while to report on. Yeah, absolutely. So as we're watching this attack play out here, Tanner, you're right. As of the latest estimates, officials are saying over 900 people, but closer to a thousand so far have been killed from this Hamas attack. And the Hamas warned on Monday that civilian hostages would also be executed without warning. So we're likely going to see that death toll continue to rise, unfortunately, especially they said if Israel targets people in Gaza, they claim to be holding so far more than 100 hostages, including some Israeli military as well. Uh, As far as Israel's defense and what their plans are here to respond to this attack The defense minister said that he has ordered a complete siege of Gaza to cut off electricity, food, fuel, and water. But of course, that's coming as the Hamas have warned that if that does happen, they're likely going to execute the civilians and military that they have in hostage. So the Palestine... Palestinian death count has also been rising as well, Tanner, but this has been really big news here for the markets. It's creating a little bit of a risk off sentiment, which Naomi will get into here in Market Mondays coming up in just a little bit. But it also really has impacted the price of crude oil as it was up nearly $3 per barrel this morning. And if this continues, energy prices are really going to continue to rise as well. And that could create uh, an interesting effect here for the markets, Tanner. So as of right now, crude oil certainly seems to be the front runner as far as what market will have the most impact from this. But I thought this was interesting as well. According to the Israeli military, they're comparing this attack, Tanner, to the United States 9-11 event. And so this is just to put it in perspective for our listeners, they're comparing it to that same level of terrorism that we you know, classify 9-11 being here for the United States. So it's certainly a challenging event here for for Israel. And it's going to be interesting to see what world leaders step in and uh, participate in this as well. That's right. I know that another story that we'll keep tabs on this week is going to be the race for the new Speaker of the House. Naomi refers to that as geopolitical news that's going to affect the markets. But what other stories do you have, Delaney? Well, as we, uh, you know, touched base with Mike Steenhook last week, Tanner, we're continuing to watch historically low levels on the Mississippi River, and that's really caused what folks are calling the perfect trifecta for the soybean market. Really not perfect, but uh, an inopportune time to have this trifecta. It's increased freight weights, slammed basis levels, and taken a toll on exports, So we're continuing to watch delays in shipment. Not as many vessels are coming through as well as the size of those vessels. And that's going to continue to impact basis levels that we see for many of our producers heading to the cooperatives this year, especially those in the upper Pacific Northwest region. We're also seeing soybean exports down about 32% this year. And Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics said it's Definitely part and parcel due to the lower 
water levels that we're having. He said the Memphis basis for soybeans has just collapsed. It's a dollar eighty plus under right now. And Tanner, just two to three weeks ago, it was only 60, 60 to seventy cents under. So, in the last two to three weeks, there it's pretty much tripled as far as the basis widening. And we're thinking that might be the story here moving forward as producers are trying to get their grain out of the field and into a place to hopefully make some money. It's maybe not a great time. I don't know. We sh- That was a question we should ask Naomi, but we'll have to keep that one in our back pockets maybe for next year about with basis levels like this widening, do we hold the crop a little bit longer in the bane or do we get it pushed through to where it needs to go. I'm sure that's where we would probably get an answer about utilizing basis contracts, Mm. hopefully to look at setting those at a future date. But I know it's seasonably, you know, it's a seasonable turn for basis to widen, but unfortunately compounding efforts seem to be taking a toll on it. I had also picked up an article I plan to talk about Delaney uh, transitioning from farmers' adoption of cover crops. Uh, The report that I had read earlier was stating that the adoption rate is slowing, whether that's reaching farmers that have the ability due to their natural environment to take on the task and process of seeding cover crops, or farmers are waiting for more incentives to put programs in place to change their practices as far as their farming operation goes. So I'll dive deeper into that and make sure that I get that reported to our listeners as well. Awesome. That sounds great, Tanner. I think I am mostly out of headlines here aside from, you know, we're just continuing to watch what's going on in South America as well. Argentina's core agricultural farmland is now stating they could suffer massive losses in wheat yields due to their drought that has happened over the past two years. This is according to the Rosario Grain Exchange, and they put this warning out late last week as the country is still reeling from the worst drought in more than 60 years. The Rosario Grain Exchange has not changed their official forecast yet, Tanner, but of course we know we do have a major wise report coming out later this week. And we may see USDA go ahead and adjust some numbers there as well. We also see in northern and central Brazil, conditions are extremely dry there as well. But in southern regions, they're too wet, according to Ag Rural. Brazil's first corn crop is now 28% planted, and they're trying to get it in here with some really dry areas, which of course doesn't create ideal planting conditions, and some really wet areas trying to get it mudded in in other areas there. So as of right now, 28% planted for Brazil and 14% of the Buenos Aires Argentina crop. Corn crop is planted as of this week, but of course Argentina is not as big of a player in corn as they are in soybeans. So I think those are the final headlines I have here too segue us nicely into the markets, Tanner. Yeah. So before we talk to Naomi, how did markets close up today? Well, they certainly were trading mixed here. And like we're going to talk about energy certainly was the big one to watch in today's market trade action. Uh, And even considering today is Columbus Day, markets are still fully open. So December corn traded down three and three quarter cents at 488 and a quarter. November soybeans down a penny and three quarter cents at 1264 and a quarter. Hard red December wheat today down 12 and a quarter cent at 686. Chicago December wheat up four and a half cents at 572 and three quarters. And spring wheat up 10 and a half cents today to close the day out at 731. 
livestock today traded to the downside as the December live cattle contract shed $1.32 and a half to close at 185.35. November feeder cattle closed $1.22 and a half cents lower at 249.65 and December lean hogs shed $1.10 to close the day out at 72.47 and a half. Tanner, let's kick it over to our Market Monday conversation with Naomi Bloom. Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing, a market advisor there for the team at TFM. Naomi, thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to chat markets. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and there's plenty of things to talk about this week for sure. There is. I I feel like there's a lot of big headlines, but I'm curious, what do you think is the biggest headline this week that's going to potentially move markets? Well, for the gray market perspective, the bigger headline will be the USDA report on Thursday. Uh, That'll be very important because we'll get an update, of course, on where corn yield is pegged, soybean yield, and also an eye of uh, demand, ultimately, and how that correlates on two ending stocks. Um, you know, seasonally, corn and beans, a lot of times, will nudge their way higher throughout the month of October, uh, but we could use some fresh demand news to get things marching in the right direction. So we'll see what the USDA has to say on Thursday. Yeah, you're right. That's certainly going to be something that we focused on. But as we sit here the first day of the week, how did the corn market react through the weekend? Well, we had some mixed trading. I think the market initially was supported by crude oil being higher last night on the on the trading markets. Of course, with the attack with Israel, that was supportive to crude oil. And just, you know, let the markets um, trade a little bit higher initially on the headline. Now, the reality of what's happened with Israel is is not that it's going to immediately impact the grain markets specifically. The idea would be more, though, that if the tensions continue to flare throughout the Middle East, maybe we see some of those countries there um, step up on what they need to import for wheat because there are some major importers in that region. So that could be something that would be good for the wheat market. Um, but we'll also see in general how the war would play out and how that affects the energy complex. If the energy markets go higher, sometimes that can be beneficial for corn prices and bean oil prices. Um, but again, we'll have to just keep an eye on that and take it day by day. Naomi, when you look at the attacks that happened over the weekend in in Israel, you mentioned there that it would have a pretty direct impact for the crude oil market. But what could be, for those of our listeners that are quite connecting the dots, what could be the potential implications for the grain markets? Yeah, so um, if you if you think of just in general how um, where Israel is located, obviously they're not a major uh, global supplier of grain, but what's at stake, I think, is essentially those who back Israel and those who don't. And the other implication would be if Iran comes in and has a bigger implication on all this and that they were actually backing the Hamas terrorist group with some of the funding for this um, attack, that could make uh, the markets jittery, that can make crude oil prices go higher, uh, depending on war and escalation with the region. Uh, Sometimes people get a little bit excited and and it can be one of two things. It can be a risk off environment where people try to exit the markets because they don't know what it's going to bring or depending on war and escalation. And of course, we still have everything happening with Ukraine and Russia. Sometimes that might be a price driver for for markets. But for this instance, um, because there's not a lot of 
direct impact for agriculture. Uh, our grain markets are more of a side viewer of this situation versus being a direct involvement like we were when Russia invaded Ukraine, of course, just because of how much grain is grown in that region of the world near the Black Sea. I appreciate you explaining that. Let's come back home for a little bit of news here. What's harvest progress looking like, and is that having a role in anything this week? Well, with uh, today being Columbus Day, uh, we haven't had any USDA updates today for like export inspections, and we won't get the weekly crop progress report until tomorrow. But we are thinking that progress has been moving along pretty quick here. Um, I think they were talking like maybe beans were going to be closer to 50% harvested. And of clients that I talked to, I would say that's definitely true. Some clients have actually wrapped up beans over the weekend, and they're getting going now with the corn harvest. Uh, so there's rain coming into a lot of portions of the Midwest this weekend. That'll slow things down. But for the bulk of this week, before those rains come, I think we'll see some good progress going along. Um, the yield results that I continue to hear are just extremely mixed and variable, just boils down to if a region received the rain or not. Uh, the only place I heard that was having really fantastic yield results for soybeans was in a portion of Indiana where they had 13 inches of rain in July and another few inches of rain in August. And the client there was saying that they were in the low 80s, which for him was his best ever. But otherwise, when I talked to clients like in uh, south central Minnesota or even portions of Iowa where the rains did not fall, yields are in the 40s and 50s. Same thing with portions of Nebraska, just not necessarily fantastic. But if people have those timely rains, then they're looking at yields in the 60s. So it'll be interesting to see how the USDA correlates all that information on Thursday with that WASD report, and then ultimately how the markets respond. Naomi, I'm curious. It'll be interesting to see how the USDA reflects these variability in yields, but who knows if they're going to adopt that quick enough either. I mean, it, it might be in a future report, but when you look at years prior, is there a year that stands out in your mind as far as comparing these varied yields that we have? And my second question is, when do we start to see these variable yields play out in the markets? Do they really care at this point, I guess, that we may have some that had rain and some that didn't, that impacted yield? Um, you know, as far as your first question goes, um, in the in the past, I would say this year is a standout alone. Um, it doesn't make me think of any other year where things have been so mixed and so variable all over the place. Um, usually, as I'm getting on the phone with clients at Harvest, there's a, a definitive trend of everything is better than people are expecting, or things were as bad as they were expecting, depending on drought, like I'm thinking of 2012. Uh, so this year has been very different. I think it's its own beast, its own animal. And then as far as going forward, when we start to feel that impact more, you know, the USDA is usually slow to do any dramatic changes on reports from here until the January WASD report. When they do their big year-end summary, it's usually just gentle tweaks along the way till that whole crop is harvested and then they know for sure what is or isn't there. And then they reflect that on the January report. Um, so I would be aware of seasonals. I would be aware of outside market influences, keep an eye on the charts. Um, it doesn't seem to be like any one factor is um, affecting prices specifically more than one way or the other. It seems to be multiple factors that are keeping things in check. But you know, the biggest thing right now would be how the funds are short in corn and wheat. 
and they are just continuing to hold that short position. So I'm very curious what the catalyst will be for them to exit short positions and buy some of those back. I would think that it would be probably a 50 cent move on corn and wheat if they started to buy back the short positions that they have. And that would be great for markets to move higher. But again, we need some actual fundamental news to be a catalyst for that change. Yeah, so if we don't see any change, where's the demand gonna come from that we're gonna need to really push these higher? Well, right, the hope would be that exports pick up, but of course with Brazil just being such a big competitor these days, we need to see our export markets pick up soon. And I'm hoping with, um, we have a few people, a few US um, delegates in China right now. So hopefully they're having a little bit of a conversation and get together and we start to see our export sales pick up this week, especially now that China's back on holiday. Um, but otherwise it would, does it come from any domestic demand increase? That's the question, of course, with the new processing plants coming online for soybeans, that helps to offset that um, lost demand that we have for exports. We're making up for it on the processing side here domestically but it might be something that the market has to absorb for forever gone export demand just because Brazil is such a big component now. But we'll see what kind of weather they have in January and February when their crop is in the heart of their growing season. And we'll be trading and reflecting that in the future then. Naomi, I'm glad you mentioned the processing facility we have coming online here for the soybean industry, because I've heard quite a few different market analysts and folks talking about this. And I know it's still a little ways out in the future because we've got some plants coming online in 24 and 25, but a lot of folks are painting this out to be very comparable, if not more significant to the soybean industry compared to maybe what ethanol was for the corn industry. So Longer term, looking into your crystal ball, you know, how would you compare? What would you say as far as is this going to be a big game changer for the soybean industry? Oh, absolutely. I would agree with everything you said. You know, when you think about corn right now, a third of the corn that we grow goes towards ethanol use and ethanol production. And the USDA has not accounted for all this additional soybean plants to be coming online yet. They're accounting for small growth for now which makes sense because those plants aren't fully online yet. You know, a few more became available at harvest here this year, a lot of them for 2024 and 2025, but that's going to reflect future demand on reports. So you're going to see the crushing demand numbers increase. You're going to see our need for soybean acres overall increase and have to stay higher. So it is something that is going to be better for our U.S. market here for our producers here, it's going to be friendly for the longer term situation of things. Um, but we'll see how the USDA does the baby steps on their reports um, to acknowledge the upcoming demand that's going to be associated with it. Because so far, they've only done just a small incremental increase to acknowledge the situation. But again, the bulk of those plants are coming online later in 24 and 25. So it does make sense that they are holding back on the demand increase until the plants are online. Naomi, a quick follow-up there. So with the reports, I know you and a lot of the other analysts read them, you dissect them. How do we know or what are we watching for to say, okay, yep, the USDA has indicated that these are up and running. They're really going to change the demand picture. Is it just kind of reading through the numbers or what are some specific things you're watching for as this is coming online? Um, it'll be with the tied with the bigger reports. So I think the first one that we'll be watching for is in January because that's when they can do their first bigger adjustment of everything. 
And then the next thing I'll be watching for is the USDA Outlook Forum in February. That's when they have their powwow for what they think is going to be potentially happening for the year ahead to see how they acknowledge it in that situation on such a global presence will be another telltale. And then going forward, I think um, just those larger USDA reports, um, like when it matters a little bit more to the market, like the June reports or the quarterly stocks reports, but otherwise it would be um, probably the January report. And then again, that February outlook forum, that's going to be a big one. That'll be a telltale because then they project forward some of those demand implications and what it would look like. And that gives us an idea of how slow or quickly they'll acknowledge the truth on upcoming USDA reports. So as we look at the rest of this week, what other headlines are you watching? And I know we haven't even discussed wheat yet either. Yeah, so headlines I'm watching this week um, continue to be, of course, around Israel and the conflict there, seeing if Iran gets um, drawn into it because um, that affects crude oil prices. I'm watching definitely headlines with Russia, Ukraine, um, and that how that would affect the wheat market. Now, one thing to be watching with wheat and being aware of with wheat is that that December Chicago contract is up against some short-term resistance near the 580 area. Um, that's been resistance for about a week and a half. It's also the 21-day moving average. If we can get prices to go through 580, it's a quick run up to $6 on the December futures price. Maybe we start to see the funds exit some of those short positions. We're also going to want to be watching um, every morning if the USDA announces any flash sales. So they do that between 8 o'clock in the morning and 8.10 in the morning. So what we're going to be watching for there would be any signs of uh, countries in the Middle East buying wheat, just trying to secure product in case the war escalates. We're going to be watching to see if China is going to be stepping in and buying any more soybeans. And you got to remember, too, China bought wheat from the United States the first time in years because they didn't have the best growing conditions this summer. So I'm, I want to see if China is going to get nervous and maybe they want to buy more wheat before the Middle East buys wheat. Um, and we'll see if they get and buy any soybeans or corn. And then that USDA report Thursday. So a lot of factors, a lot of outside market influences, geopolitics are the, in the center of outside market news this week. And then that USDA report on Thursday, um, plenty of things to keep this market moving. Nami, before we let you go, it's been quite some time since we've gotten an update on class three dairy milk futures. So what's your outlook there? Well, that market's been kind of stuck here for a little bit. Um, so it's had a few factors here. We've had uh, the August milk production report, which was the most recent production report, was a little bit lower. And so we're seeing milk production trend down a little bit. So that is supportive to the market. And that's gotten us off from those cruddy $14 prices that we had. And now the market is trading in a consolidation pattern. We're starting to head into the time of year where we see cheese demand, butter demand pick up just for the holidays. So that's encouraging. Uh, last week, butter stole the show and was up five and a half cents to an all-time high. So that was supported for the dairy complex. And then we'll start to see what dairy exports do in the month ahead. Um, our most recent export report that we had showed that exports were down 10% from the year prior for that month. Um, so we'll start to see if that starts to pick up at all. But at least it feels like maybe that dairy complex is finding some value here, finding some support and just waiting for some fresh news for direction. 
We appreciate all your insights. For our listeners, can you remind them again how they could look you up or get in contact with you if they've got more questions? Yeah, feel free to give a call at Total Farm Marketing. The number is 800-334-9779 or give me an email, naomi at totalfarmmarketing.com. I still think it's one of the best ways to kick the week off, Delaney, getting a head look at what the week might have in store as far as markets go. So thanks, Naomi, again for hanging out with us. We'll be back every day this week with more headlines, right, Delaney? Absolutely. I think there's going to be some big ones, to say the least, Tanner, as we watch this uh, situation unfold in other parts of the world. But what do you say for today? We let the folks go. Let's let them go.